0: I want you to open up this morning in your Bibles in John chapter 7. We find Jesus, and this is now the last six months of His life. We find this all of this happening at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. And it's amazing when you look at the previous two chapters, chapter 5 and 6, that is on the back of, of the Feast of the Passover, And this one now is on the back of the Feast of Tabernacles. And we find these words of Him in John chapter 7, verse 37. He says, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And we're going to talk about that verse. But first, verse 37. As I'm saying, Jesus previously came to this feast. His brothers wanted Him to go there with them. He did not. He went on His own to the feast and round about the middle of the feast He stood up and He started talking to them, preaching to them in the synagogue. And you remember last week how we saw that these people were seeking Him and He turned to them and said to them, there will come a time when you seek Me in vain. That's my paraphrase. You see, He said, you will seek Me and find Me no more. And that's a serious message. And this in this feast, which took eight days and you've got to understand what happens before you read this verse because during every day during this feast the priest will come to the steps of the temple and they will have a pitcher of water which was drawn from Siloam, the the well of Siloam, and they would bring the pitch of water up to the priests and they would stand on the steps there every day every morning and they will throw the water out And this is showing the people what happened in the wilderness. But on the last day, they went with an empty pitcher. The last day, the great day of the feast, when the feast comes to an end. Remember, by now there is more than three times the population in Jerusalem. People from around, that's what I showed you last week, will come in. The people in Jerusalem, and then you have the Jews, the religious leaders... And all of them will come the last day and they will have this picture without any water in it. And it's on this day that we're going to read what Jesus is doing now. Let's have a read in verse 37. He says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. He cried this out. Remember, the people are all gathered there now. And Jesus, not on the steps, maybe a little af- away from that, stood up and He cried out. And He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Oh, I love this Scripture verse. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit. So what is going to come out of man? It's right there in front of us. The Spirit. But He was calling it living water. Whom those believing in Him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given. Because Jesus was not yet glorified. He was not yet glorified. He would be glorified on the cross. When He died for our sins. Now it's interesting when you read these words and if you're a casual observer you will just read over it and you think oh yes that's fine because this is what Jesus did all the time. He stood up in the streets and he cried and he preached but that's not what he did. If you read in Isaiah chapter 42 verse 1 you read about Jesus. The prophet says behold my servant whom uphold my elect one in whom my soul delights. Who's that? Who's that? It's Jesus. So the prophet Isaiah back in the day was prophesying about Jesus. He says, Behold my servant. He says, My elect one. The father said, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. In whom my soul delights. Again, when he was baptized. Now look at this. He says, Have put my spirit upon him. My spirit upon him. Who did the Spirit come upon? Upon Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Then he says, He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. That's what he did. Now he says, He will not cry out. You notice that? He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. So the prophet says he will not cry out. So he's not going to be one of those people standing in the streets and shouting out his message. And he never did that. In fact, what he did is he did miracles. You remember at the beginning of this passage, we saw that his ministry was a ministry of grace and truth. He brought grace to the people. He did miracles to the people. And what happened? The people gathered to him. And what did he do? He got in a boat and in a short amphitheater he spoke out loud giving them the testimony. But he did not cry it out. He did not cry it out. You say, what is so important about this? Well, on this great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and He cried these words out. Listen, He then stood up and He made people believe that if you are thirsty, that this is the place where you can get the water that will quench your thirst forever. I think that's an important message. And the world still needs to hear that. This world is still thirsty. So we read on in verse 40, Therefore many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Look, he's the prophet. And others said, This is the Christ. But some said. Don't you always get the but some sayers in, in life? You get the ones, they say, Well, truly he's the prophet. The one that, that they prophesied in the Old Testament. And then somebody even say he's the Christ. And then you get the, But some said, group, will the Christ come out of Galilee with question mark? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? Is that where he came from? Yes. They were right, but they questioned the truth. So there was a division amongst the people because of him. And one thing I realize about Jesus Christ is you cannot be neutral. You have to make a decision. You have to choose where you stand. What is He for you this morning? Is He just a prophet? You know that the Muslims believe He's just a prophet? They say He's a prophet like Muhammad. He's no better, not worse than Muhammad. That to me is blasphemy. If you think about Muhammad, who's somebody who raped an eight-year-old girl and made her his wife. Somebody who murdered people. He was a warrior. You look at Jesus, could you find any sin in Him? The Bible says no. I believe no. So you cannot put them on the same level, yet when you talk to them, they say, we believe in Jesus. He's a prophet like Him. You see, some even in our day believe that he's a prophet. But they will not commit to him. Others believe he's the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Is he a Galilean? Those were the people who were sort of looked down upon. Oh, surely not. He will be out of the seed of David, they say, from the town of Bethlehem. Now let me ask the question. Where was He born? In Bethlehem. So they were right, but they didn't even know it. You cannot be neutral. You have to make a decision where you stand. So in verse 44, He says, Now some of them wanted to take Him, but none laid their hands on Him. One thing that I realized out of the Word of God is that God is a sovereign God. And He holds your life in His hands. And what He says comes forth they wanted to take him he was in deep trouble they wanted to kill him we know this by now everybody knew it these were the temple police it says there in the next verse 45 then the officers came to the chief priest and the Pharisees who said to them why have you not brought him they wanted to arrest him he was in trouble but they could not take him let me tell to you, child of God, you're in God's hands, and nothing happens to you without the permission of God. Can I say that again? I am going to say it again. Nothing will happen to you without the permission from God. You belong to Him. You are His possession. He possesses you. He, you are His. And this is a good encouragement. The people in China, the people who are martyred, listen... Those people who kill them think they're in power, they're not. You say, but why does God allow it? This is not God allowing it. This is how far the world has fallen into depravity that causes these things. He's a sovereign God. You know, when I get in my car every day, when I get on on an airplane and I fly over this beautiful country and there's a, a little bit of turbulence in the air, you know what I say? I say, Lord, you're a sovereign God. And you know your plans for my life. And whatever happens, it carries your stamp of approval. Can you live your life like that? When I look at my children and when they go, and look, you always stay a parent. When my children go go all over the world, I say, Lord, you are a sovereign God and nothing will happen to your children without your permission. And here we find it, Jesus. The chief priest couldn't uh, get it through these offices and it says there, In verse 46, the officers answered, No man, no man ever spoke like this man. And let me say, no man will ever speak like him. There's only one who can speak like him, and it's him. They were amazed by not what he did. Listen, gone is now the miracles. They didn't say no man couldn't do the things that he did. No, no, no man spoke like this man spoke. Why? Because He spoke with the authority of the Father. He spoke with the authority through the Holy Spirit. And listen to me, dear friend. You're a child of God. You need to speak with that same authority. Then the Pharisees answered them and they say, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed Him? Look look at these people's mentality around this now. They go, Are you also deceived? I mean... Take us as the example, the authorities, the Pharisees. Have we believed in Him? So if we don't believe in Him, duh, then you can't believe in Him, duh. That's the argument here. But this crowd does not know that the law is accursed. So they put the crowd down. They say, oh, we are taking the moral high ground. We are way better than the crowd here. And in verse 15, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, he's the one who came to Jesus by night. He's the one who spoke to Jesus about the things and Jesus committed himself to him, talking about being born again. This deacon Nicodemus, and now John puts it in brackets. You see, this is what he writes. This is what I love about John. These brackets is what he falls in between. Just to explain to the Gentiles, his gospel was written to Gentiles and also to Jews. But the Jews would understand it, but now he's just explaining. He gives a little bit of an expository. He says, he who came to Jesus by night being one of them. This Nicodemus said to them, does our Lord judge a man before he hears him and knows what he's doing? It's a very good question. Otherwise you've got a jungle law, yes? We just judge you. We don't hear what you say. They answered and said to him, "Are you also from Galilee? One of those deplorables? <laughs> Where did I get that word from? One of those unwanted? One of those poor which we don't count?" He says, "Are you also one of from Galilee? Search and look." Now I, I, I like this hypocrisy from them. He says they said, "Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee." And everyone went to his house. Now here's the question that I've got for you in this church this morning. Have you searched and looked? Are they right? If they say that there's no, they uh, said um, that there's no prophet from Galilee, are they right? The answer is no, they are wrong. You know, Nicodemus should have known. He should have stood up there and said, wait a minute, you are wrong. They were wrong. And let me prove it to you. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we read about a man. He says, He restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which He has spoken through His servant, Jonah, the son of Amatiah. Now, where did Jonah come from? He was a prophet. Jonah was a prophet. Where did he come from? the prophet who was from Gath-Heber. Where is Gath-Heber? Gath-Heber is in Galilee. You see, this is the thing, and we see it now happening all over the world. Look, I'm not going to get involved in politics or anything, but what you see is going on in America is exactly what these people were doing. They are lying to the people, but because of their power, the people think it's the truth. Because of their power, because of their corruption, Because of the interference, because of their religion, people think it's the truth. Now, forget politics. I don't want to get involved in that. But let's take religion. Why do so many people follow the religion these days? Blind, open-eyed. Because they believe these people who stand up and say they are apostles, which they are not, they are false apostles, man-made apostles. These false teachers who come out and they they diss up every single nonsense they can. And people believe them. Why? Because they know the truth. The ear, hear what it's trained to hear. Your ear is trained uh, and it will hear what you train it to hear. And the eye is trained to see what the eye wants to see. I'll give you a great example. A couple of years ago, I wanted to buy a car, and it was a new car. So, what happens? These are many of these cars on the roads, but I never saw them until I walked onto the sales floor and I saw this car standing there. And I go, Whoa, oh, this is a beautiful car. I never saw this car. Looked around and Wow, that's a beautiful car. Guess what happened from then on? Everywhere you drive, you go, Oh, this one of those, this one of those, this one of those, that's one. You've trained your eye to see what you wanted to see. Let's go back to John chapter 7 verse 37. He says, On that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and he cried out and saying, If anyone thirst, let him come to me. What thirst is he talking about? Was he talking about people standing there for two or three hours and they are really thirsty now and they could make with water? Was he talking about that? Was He talking about a physical thirst? No. He was not talking about a physical thirst. He talks about a thirst, dear friend, that you and I were born with. Each man were born with this hollowness inside of them that seeketh after God. Each one of us, we were born in sin. There's no person who was born which was perfect apart from Jesus Christ. But he even came into the form as a servant. And this thirst he's talking about is not a thirst which we can quench with water. It is the inner thirst. And we see this happening in the world. We see people doing a lot of things to quench that thirst. Possessions. Enjoyment. Joy. If we can only have all of these things, I will be satisfied. But look, let me tell you, nothing in this world can satisfy your thirst. Nothing can satisfy what he's talking about here. They were coming to the booth of uh, uh, the Feast of Booths. They were sitting there. They were throwing water out. This is a religious thing they did. They came from way and far off. But with inside of them, everyone carried with them a thirst for something that water could not first. It was the living water that will quench this thirst. And we are seeking for it. These days they subscribe pulse and medicine to help people feel better. But that's not the answer. The answer is what we're talking about today. Jesus Christ, it's Him who stood up and He cried out. It caught attention and these messages. If anyone thirsts, come unto me. Look, it's even in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. He says, Ho! You see the word there? Whenever I see that word, I think about somebody riding on a horse. And he pulls the reins in and he says, Whoa, stop! Think. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money? Oh, this is a good question, is it? Why do you spend money? On what do you spend money? People today spend money to satisfy that thirst. To satisfy self. It could be possessions, anything. He says, why do you spend money for what is not bread? Why? Because you've got a thirst, and your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Year, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. You see, he's talking about the soul that shall live. He says, If you. Don't spend money on bread that is not bread and wages on things that doesn't satisfy. But I will give you something that will make your soul delight. I will make a covenant with you. I will take your sin away. This is what Jesus is talking about here. Now look at John uh, chapter 4 verse 10. You remember the lady at the well? She was standing there in the same thing. Jesus said exactly the same thing that He's saying now. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. You see, He was already saying this message before that day, in John chapter 7. Only a few chapters back He said it already. I will give you living water. Living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw. You see, she's doing what we do. We look in the physical. Nothing to draw, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Isn't that a good question? Look, we're going to do some hard work in the Bible now. We're going to do some Bible study, really, really deep Bible study now. I want to give you as much scriptures as I can. No, don't talk nonsense. He says it right there. He says, where where do I get that living water? Jesus stands up on that stairs. He says, anyone who thirsts, come unto me. Where do you get the living water? Come unto me. Where do you get the living water? Come unto me. Come unto me. This is what Jesus is saying still today. Come unto me. Nobody else, nobody else carries the living water. He carries it. He says, come unto me. Then he says, are you greater than your father Jacob, thinking in the flesh again, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. Wow, he was a great man, wasn't he? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Let me tell you this morning, if you keep on drinking the water that you're drinking, you will thirst until you die the day. But he says, come unto me, come unto me, Jesus says. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing into everlasting life. Wow, I love this. He says, That water that comes into you, what will happen? It will become a fountain. It is not yours to keep, it is not yours it became a fountain. What happens with a fountain? It flows. Jesus said on that last day on the feast, He says, He who believes in Me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's the same thing. He says, It will become a fountain of water. And that day He says, Out of your heart the living water will flow. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in Him would not receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now, now this is the thing. It cannot flow if it doesn't come in. It is simple as that. It's logic. If I've got a glass here and it's empty, can, can water come out of it? No. I have to put water in so that water can come out. And that's what he says. He says, out of him water will come out. What is He talking about? He talks obviously about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to come into you and me so that it can come out. Now, I haven't got it on the board here because I was praying this morning and the Scripture just dawned upon me. But let me show you now out of your Bible what will come out. You see, I've heard somebody say it once. They said, you need to be filled with the Spirit the whole time. Because, and listen now carefully what they say. They say if you are filled with the Holy Spirit when you come on a Sunday and on a Monday you walk out and you kick the dog because he's in your way out of frustration. Get out of the way! And you bite the cat's tail. I don't know how you do that, but anyway. Because of frustration. And on your way to work, you drive and somebody cuts you off. And you you say, You give him something. You know what the people say? they say a little bit of the Holy Spirit leaks out. Have you heard this before? A little bit leaks out. And man, by Saturday night, you are empty. (laughs) There ain't no more Holy Spirit in you. So that's why on Sundays we come to church, so that we can fill it up. Use my cup, Lord, fill it up. Why? Because there's another week ahead of me. That is unbelievable that is not scriptural listen the holy spirit doesn't work like that leaks out because of things that you do no 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 this is not what jesus says here no jesus said you know what every single day of your life the holy spirit needs to be like waters flowing out of you so what comes out what comes out what is put in you see, if I take some people and I turn them upside down and I start shaking them, what's going to fall out of your pockets? What's going to come out? If somebody shakes your cage, what happens? That what is inside of you will come out. If it's rubbish, rubbish will come out. If you fill yourself up with rubbish, rubbish is going to come out. It's like a garbage can. Yes, what do you throw into a garbage can? Come on, garbage. And if you tip it over, what comes out? Garbage. This is not garbage. This is the living water. He says it comes in. Now let me show you what needs to happen. Go in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Let me show you here. What is he talking about when he says that streams of living water will come out? will come out the previous verse when he says it will become a fountain of water what water is it that's going to come out how do i identify how do i identify that somebody has the holy spirit in him now have you ever asked that question the bible gives the answer look here in galatians chapter 5 verses 22 but the fruit of the spirit you see that now some of you know that i've preached on this before it's not fruits it's not a plural look in your bible it's a singular the fruit the fruit 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 singular of the spirit is the following it is love joy peace long suffering kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self-control against such there is no law why do i say it's not fruits because some people go about this they go let me look at that list there um it is love oh i've got Got so much love in my heart just look at me. i'm oh i've got so much love but man i haven't got long suffering i'm working on that one that's why it's not fruits you either have it or you don't it's all of those combined so what am i saying if he says that streams of living water will come out you will know it by its fruit all of those things needs to come out of you every single day you say whoa wait a minute you don't know my life you don't know my frustrations yes i don't you're absolutely right but god does and that's why he gives you mercy and grace Guess what? You need the mercy and grace so that you can pass that mercy and grace onto your husband, your children, and to your wife and your children, and to everybody around you. That needs to come out of you consistently, constantly. Oh, but I'm, I, I fail. Yes, I fail. That's what Paul says as well. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin. But guess what? That's not where I stay. I pray for forgiveness. And then I am filled, what? With the waters that will come out. All of those things. People around you. What are they saying about you? What are they seeing coming out of you? What is coming out of you? Yes, I know we all lose our cool from time to time. But listen, then you go back and you make right. But why? Why do you say that? Because it's one of those things, isn't it? Joy, peace, long, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, forgiveness. All of those things. That is what comes out of man. That is the fruit of the Spirit that he's talking about. Now, the question is, how does it come in to you? I want to give you... Three prepositions of the Holy Spirit, and then we'll pray and go according to the Scriptures. Prepositions. A preposition is a, is a position of a, a noun or a pronoun. It is showing you where something is. I want to give you three prepositions right in front of us of the Holy Spirit. First of all, He talks about the Spirit with you. The Spirit with you. In John chapter 14 verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and He will give you another helper that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. You see, friend, the Holy Spirit, when you and I, we are so privileged, when we were born, the Spirit is on this earth. And the Spirit is with you. It is the word para. Para means come alongside. That is where we get our word parachute from. Now, this word here for helper, the Father will give you another helper, that is the Holy Spirit. That word is paraklete in Greek. Para, that word, and cleat. That means strength. That means the Holy Spirit will come alongside you and strengthen you. If you use it with worth. The Spirit was poured out on the earth. Now what is the work of the Holy Spirit? The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world of sin. It is to convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Righteousness means to live a life acceptable to God. There's two kinds of righteousness in the Bible. One is to live a life acceptable to myself. That's the wrong one. Then you get the life acceptable to God. Now what does the Holy Spirit do? He comes, para, next to you. And He pulls you. He pulls you towards Him, towards God, towards the Father, towards the Scriptures. He convicts you of sin. At this point in time, it's not in you. It's just a constantly, maybe you're driving and you hear a song and you've done something wrong and there's a conviction. I remember in my life, I thought I was, you know, the whole world belonged to me. I was doing things at a fast pace. I was a young man. I was on my way to the pit of hell. I was invited to a church service. And I could have said no. No. And I wanted to say now, what's this thing about church? Man, church is just a thing you go to on Sundays. You sit there and you keep your eyes open so that mom and dad's not mad at you. And then afterwards you go on with your life. You do whatever you did before. That's what church was all about. But that day, I was invited to that church. And I felt compelled to go. What made me feel compelled to go? You can say, oh, it's your decision. Yes, it was. But I felt drawn by something. You see, the Holy Spirit is It's with you. It pulls you. I went in and I sat there and that man preached a sermon that cut me to the heart. I went out of there and I went back to my old life. But there was that thing that kept on pulling me back. I wanted to go back. I wanted to go and hear more. And then I went a second time. And I went again until one day I found myself in the front, repenting of my sin and calling on God to save my soul. You see, the Holy Spirit is with you. He's parakletos. It's like parachute. What does a parachute do? It gives you the power to hang and come down. Paramedic. It comes along to you and He gives you the care of medic. Paramedic. That's where the words come from. And here it is. He dwells with you. The Holy Spirit is with you to do all these things. And then secondly, He's in you. You see, it's in the same passage that He dwells with you jesus says i'll pray the father he'll come with you and he will be in you the word in you the spirit comes inside of you it's not only now with you it comes in you now the question is when does he come in you because i've heard a lot of things listen i'll tell you today i'm a pentecost at heart i'm a pentecostal and i'll explain to you later on what i mean by pentecostal but i'll tell you what the enemy has hijacked, hijacked, hijacked Pentecost these days. Because if you say Pentecost, people go, it's crazy things that happen. You need to fall down and scream like a, a pig. And you need to say like a, you know, like a snake. And you have to do all these funny things. That's not what it is. Or you have to now pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and beg God. Beg God for the Spirit to come into you. Have you heard that? it's rife in the world question is when does the spirit come into you and the answer is right there John 20 verse 19 and then the same day at evening when the first day of the week when the doors were shut the disciples were assembled this is when he came into them for the fear of the Jews let me just give you a background here Jesus has now risen from the dead this is prior to him ascending on high The disciples comes into this room he talks about there. They're afraid of the Jews. He said they are filled with fear. They were not filled with anything else. Inside of them was fear. Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now look at this. And he, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. What happened at that point in time for them? The Spirit who was with them now came into them. Came into them. It's at that point in time when they were saved in their souls. If you forgive sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain sins of any, they are retained. When do we receive the Holy Spirit? Paul is very clear about this. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and as many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, where the jews greeks with the slaves free and all have been made to drink in one spirit friend i want to suggest to you know i want to say to you that when you give your heart to the lord or when the lord saves you and he and he, you repent and you are born again at that point in time his spirit comes and lives inside of you he baptizes you into the body the spirit who was now with you para becomes in It comes into you Now, I know there's a lot of people who will disagree with that because they say, no, 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 no. You have to now wait for the Spirit to come upon you because Jesus said, wait for Him. They say, no, it could take... And look, I've been in places where it took for some people weeks and months before they could say, I've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yet here Paul says, he says, by one Spirit we were baptized in one body. So the day when you were saved, you were baptized into the body of Christ. The Spirit came and He lived inside of you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9. But if you are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, He dwells in you, then you are in the Spirit and not in the flesh. It's when you are saved. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also having been believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of the promise when when you heard the word of truth and the gospel of salvation and when you believed you were sealed with the holy spirit of promise he came inside of you and you were sealed by him that's the preposition of in Jesus is clear about this in verse 38 when he said he who believes in me what will happen He didn't go in and now put a whole list of things that needs to take place and back. No, no. As the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you believe in me, when you come to the point and you are born again, the spirit of God comes and lives inside of you. And you say, why? What does the spirit come and do inside of me? Well, he cleanses you. Let's have a look at 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. Is that a lot of scripture verses? Are you still with me? Praise the Lord. Look at this here. He says it in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. He says, if we confess, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So many are still living there. If we confess our sins, when does that happen? That happens when you come to the cross of christ and you confess your sin he is faithful and just to do what to forgive us our sins he forgives them instantaneously and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness you see unrighteousness is now to live a life acceptable to him and it's a cleansing that starts happening with the Holy Spirit. Let me explain to you. When I gave my heart to the Lord, the next day, I still did a lot of the things I used to do before that night. I still swear. I think I testified about that. I found myself months after that. Now you want to tell me I wasn't safe until I stopped swearing? And still I stopped doing things? No, no. But now the Holy Spirit was inside of me. And what happened? He started teaching me. I started reading the Word. He opened up the Scriptures. And every time I do it, He convicted me. And what happened? He cleaned up my life. Yes, my sins were me forgiven. Yes, I was instantaneously forgiven for the guilt thereof. But there's a process that took place. And that process is still taking place today. Still, I'm still reading in the book of James. It's like a mirror. I still compare myself against the Scripture. And I still fall short on a lot of things. Yes, my sins are my forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I'm sealed by the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit of God is still working on us. He's still working on me. And that's the work of the Spirit. Listen to Titus chapter 3 verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy. Look at that list there. Hateful hating one another, hating one another. But when the kindness of the love of God, our Saviour toward man, appeared in the the form of Christ, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing and the regeneration of the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, We should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now let me give you the last preposition. So first of all, the Holy Spirit is with us. He's in us. Now how does He empower us? Because there's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit as well. The Bible talks about. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Our Lord Himself, He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You see that? upon you, epi so we've got para en epi three prepositions of the Holy Spirit, one is with you one is in you when you got saved one is upon you and it's really direct and clear for us, he says when this spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, dunamos, dunamos power that's where we find our word dynamite from that's where we find our word dynamo from. That's where we find the word dynamic from. So you ask me, are you a Pentecostal? I say, yes. And I stand on this verse. You will receive power. But whilst my brothers whom I still love in the Pentecostal circle say, wow, it's the dynamite that explodes in churches and we get all of these funny things happening. I say, no, no, I stand on what the verse says. I become a dynamic witness for Him. He gives me the power to become a dynamic witness for Him. He says, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, the Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's a difference here. He didn't say become a dynamite. Yes, it did happen. On the day of Pentecost, yes, it is like a dynamite who exploded. They went out and I'm going to show it to you now. But look to me. Listen to me, friend. We become a dynamic, a dynamic person for Christ. Why? Because the name witness there is martyr. And believe me, you will need to have the power of God to be killed for God. Go and ask Polycarp. I've put it in the newsletter today for you to read. So this is epi, he says the spirit will come upon you. Let's test this, Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost has fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Remember, before this, Christ to the disciples, he was blowing on them. Well, what did they receive? The Holy Spirit. So they were in that room with the spirit already in them. You with me now? And now, they were standing there, but there were others around them as well. He says, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. And one sat upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So what happened in their day? They were filled as well as the Spirit came upon them. But there were disciples sitting there who already had the Spirit in them. What happened now? Boom! Dynamite! Yes, I get that. But look at the next. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. Whoa, what's going on here? And were confused because everyone heard them speaking in their own language look I've got five minutes let me explain this to you they didn't talk gibberish there this is not a proof to say that if you get the Holy Spirit now you need to speak in tongues that is not true they were speaking in his own language the Greek word there means they were speaking in a language which they were not learned in it is like, what language do you speak to know? It's like, you know, I'm coming in here and all of a sudden I speak in Malayalam. That would be the word used there in Greek, which means I'm now speaking a language which I was never taught in school and it just comes out of me. That would be a miracle, wouldn't it? And this is what happened. Then they were all amazed. Why were they amazed? because they marveled saying to one another, look, are not all these people who speak Galileans, those deplorables, those unwanted, From aren't they coming from that place? I mean, they are not the learned ones. Let's face it. They are not the university students here. This is why they were amazed. And how is it that we hear them in our own language, in which we were born? And then he goes on and he names the languages. That's is what I find amazing. Yet you get people and say they were speaking in Jebus' tongues. No, the miracle was they started talking in Parthian, Nidus. There's all the languages they spoke that day. All of them. Pergia, Egypt, all of those languages. Both Jews and the Cretans, Arabs. We hear them speaking in their own tongues and the wonderful works of God. I just thought I'd throw that in there to correct something. I will not in this church say that you are not baptized in the Holy Spirit, or you are not safe if you can't speak tongues. I will not, because it's not scriptural. And I'm running out of time, but I've got so much to say about that topic. Maybe I'll follow it up next week. But here is the three prepositions. With, in, upon. Upon empowers you. Upon uh, Empowers you for ministry. You see, you shall receive power to be my witness. The Holy Spirit has got to work to do in you first before you can be sent. The Holy Spirit works in inside of you before you can be sent. I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm serious about this thing. He works in you to bring you to a place of maturity. Let me finish off with these two verses. Matthew chapter 3 verse 16. When he had been baptized, this is Jesus. He came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And where did he go? He went upon him. Before this, he wasn't in ministry. Before this, Christ wasn't in ministry. It is only after the Spirit came upon him, what happened? He was taken into the wilderness and tested by the enemy, by the devil. This empowered him for the ministry he was going to go in. The baptism, this kind of baptism where the Holy Spirit came upon. Because in Acts chapter 1, Jesus did tell them, he says, go and wait for the promise will come upon you. He will come upon you which was promised. If you understand this, you will understand the Holy Spirit. And listen, I by far not saying that I'm the final authority on that. Go and teach the scriptures. There's no controlling in this. It's the Holy Spirit to do the work. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. After this baptism, what does Jesus say? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And now that the Spirit of the Lord is upon him, what happens? It's anointed him to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and do the work of ministry. So here is it. Jesus said, He who first come unto me, and out of him streams of living water will come forth and it will just flow that talks about the holy spirit preposition in you and what does he do it cleans you up from the inside out your sins are you forgiven we've nailed that that is done but now the spirit of god is flowing outside of you people look at you and they go there's something different about that person why it shines out it, sh- it just comes out of you You know what they say every day he's the same every day sees the same it's not as if this morning they woke up and got with the wrong foot out of bed have you heard that one no that is the spirit and the water is flowing out but then you get the spirit coming upon you and that empowers you for ministry that empowers you for the work of God the three with you in you upon you where's the spirit in your life.